Well, now that Mr. Radburn got hitched, let's talk about all the other eligible animated LGBTQ single folk. Stay tuned. Good day and welcome to Writers Get Animated, a podcast about storytelling, animation, and all the flavors of humanity that can exist in every possible spectrum of existence. I'm Mackenzie Worrell. <laughs> I'm Chris Leva. Today, specifically in those spectrum I of existence, we're going to talk about <laughs> LGBTQ representation animation. Um, we occasionally do these episodes where we check in on different kinds of diversity and how that's presented in animation. And this one's near and dear to my heart because I, of course, am riding a motorcycle down the street outside. Um, I, of course, am queer and a lover of animation. And I love it. It's great. Um, so it's so nice. It touches my 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 gay little heart um, every time there's a new unexpected moment in modern animation where a character um, has a moment where they're clearly some kind of LGBTQ, mostly LGBTQ, because it's hard to do trans experiences in animation without trivializing them. That's right. I said it. Um, but I am excited for the future of trans representation in animation also. And I've talked Good. a lot. I'll let Chris talk. Oh, I, I, I don't know what else I have to add uh, personally. Okay. Um, I, okay, maybe I do have a little bit to add, <laughs> but I, I, I would say that for me, I have been just enjoying how open representation is starting to be now that we're getting creators of different backgrounds and um, orientation into animation so people in charge so we have our chris neve and rebecca sugar and everybody you know and i'm excited uh, that we have creators putting themselves in into their work and rightfully so i think perhaps this is always been happening because there have been a lot of queer coded characters throughout time, not throughout mm -hmm. time, throughout animation history, you know, the last hundred years, <laughs> uh, not time, recent time. Um, but now these creators are free to present themselves openly in their work and not just the creators, but everyone working on the show. Right. Cause even if the showrunner creator of a show is someone who would just be, a straight, white, able-bodied male. That can be okay. And that are not the only person working on that show. You have a spectrum of experience and perspectives that contribute toward making an episode what it is, both from design, storyboard, writing, show writing, production. I'm sure missing out many, many departments that make animated shows happen. It's a machine, I understand. I'm just glad that in on TV, when my six-year-old son gets to watch TV, it looks as diverse as his school. Mm. So, I mean, one of his best friends in school is 
you know, um, I'm trying to think of how many friends of his that are actually white, and I can think of maybe one. Mm. So it's it's just nice to see diversity in as many ways as possible on the screen. I mean, that's not. I mean, even even in something like Octonauts, which has its own kind of diversity, but. <laughs> I'm, more, familiar, I'm unfamiliar with the oeuvre of Octonauts. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I have my my own ideas about Quasi, um, but I I feel he my not Quasi uh, the character in Octonauts, but he my son Jack uh, is very lucky to be growing up <clears throat> with the shows that are out now and mm-hmm. the creators who are creating shows um, for kids his age and beyond and that's a good point i haven't usually hear the opposite of people not people um parents who are more on the conservative side of that spectrum um who complain about animated shows and say that how how do we explain this to our children because their lives don't look like this but the reality is now more likely than not children's lives look like this and I think looking back, that's why people have such a love for the 90s Nick show, Hey Arnold. Because Hey Arnold did have tons of diversity, and it was an urban city show. And it looked a lot more like how many viewers' lives looked than any of the other shows on at the time. That's very true. And not in a token Captain Planet kind of way. Yeah. We have, <laughs> you have to have one of each, um, but in a no, this is what the neighborhood looks like kind of way. Mm-hmm. So, well, do we want to talk through specifically about LGBTQ characters and where we've been and kind of where we are? Yeah, I would love to. I think let's break this into three sort of time periods as far as representation goes. There's the majority of animation history. (laughs) Then there's like the mid 2000s to the mid 2010s of this transitory things are changing in life and culture and how we watch TV era. (laughs) And then there's the present, the last few years where there's a lot more of this happening. And I want to acknowledge that I'm not going to talk hardly at all about anime in this at all and i think that for better or for worse um anime has always had much more lgbtq representation as far as animation goes than other kinds of animation um and i say for better for worse because i think sometimes not being familiar with a whole lot of it sometimes it can be good and sometimes it feels a little bit more like mm, what's certain looking for um more voyeurism Mm. if that makes sense so one of the things that i'll I'll call out is both i think a a a good and bad example in anime is sailor moon um of course famously in the u.s in the 90s the sailor moon edition we got here that was dubbed uh turned sailors neptune and uranus into cousins 
that were very close and held hands. Uh, and they were a lesbian couple in the original anime. And I think Sailor Moon can feel a little voyeury sometimes in many ways. And I think maybe some people wanted to see some lesbians on screen. Um, but also, I think the recent Sailor Moon Crystal, not having seen it, I've heard that it's number one in English, it's being dubbed in so that they are lesbians <laughs> and together. Um, but also, it feels much more positive than voyeury. Hmm. So, anime is a thing that happens inside of this. Don't have a lot of knowledge in it. Can't speak to it as much. So, period one. Let's look at the before mid two thousands. So, like nineteen, all the way up to like two thousand something ish. Um, there's not a lot. You get some properties, and especially um, animated movies that might have. Uh, queer-coded characters in some way, and that's never really addressed, but they kind of have different aspects of stereotypes of what LGBTQ people might look like. Um, I think we've talked in the show multiple times about different... I don't want to call out Disney. We just talked a lot about Disney movies. Right. Um, we went through their whole thing. The whole Disney history in seven parts so far. Um, Radigan, we've talked about as a queer-coded right. character. Jafar, definitely. Jafar, Scar. Scar. Ursula is a drag queen. <laughs> so it's more than just Disney, but we've talked a lot about Disney. Um, I think the other things you get in this period are either cross-dressing parodies, a la Looney Tunes. Right. Where it's a lot of like breaking this gender spectrum, and it's kind of played for laughs, but there's also characters who genuinely enjoy presenting themselves as the opposite sex as what they were born with. Um, so I don't think it's really open for interpretation. I think it's a joke, but it's fun to like say like, huh, Bugs Bunny is genderqueer. Like I, I think he likes having fun. It doesn't matter how he presents and how people think. Also, a lot of it is to throw the other person off balance <laughs> and to escape. <laughs> yeah. So. It's a tactic. <laughs> I mean, some people would do that. Some other people would, might choose something else. But Bugs likes a good time. And then I think otherwise, you don't have much until the 90s. Um, it's not animation, so I haven't talked about it here. But the recent DC Comics Snagglepuss adaptation, which I highly recommend, puts Snagglepuss as a Tennessee Williams-like character in... McCarthyism of America, so he's a gay playwright fighting Congress. I know this sounds absurd. I can't talk it up enough how good this comic series was. So it takes something everyone knows, Snagglepuss, the pink cat character, who's very effeminate flamboyant, makes him gay in the comic and talks it up. So that's a two parallel things there. And otherwise, you get some other moments played for haha moments about people not being heteronormative. I think this happens in The Simpsons sometimes in the 90s. You have like one very special episode where they meet a gay person. Right, where John Waters is in there. Mm hmm. And it's still mostly like a fear of Bart being gay. Right, and taking him to like, well, I'm going to take you to this manly place and, you know, we're going to make sure that you're straight. You also get um, the Powerpuff Girls. I have to applaud the Powerpuff Girls here. Hmm. For the villain, him, who's 
for some reason, so unspeakably evil, they can only refer to him as him. And he dresses in like a tutu and has a very feminine voice. And it's like this representation of like parental fear of how do I explain this like thing outside of the binary to my children? And that's the villain concept. And I love it. Love him. Everyone aspires to be him. If only I could be as good as that. So you got a few things until the mid-2000s. And then period two, we get like 10 years of this transition period, which is, has more like background, L overt LGBTQ characters. You might have like a same-sex kiss in the background at a party, or you might have someone in the main cast or secondary character of an adult-oriented cartoon show who is LGBTQ in some way. Mm -hmm. um, again, for better, for worse, Family Guy does this. Um, right. One of the examples of trans characters I can give on this podcast. Family Guy. Who knew? <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, also, I never thought we'd get to talk about this here, but Chosen, which I have not watched, but love the concept of. It's from the people who did Archer. It was a one season short lived show about a white gay rapper, adult oriented. So the main character is gay. Cool. Haven't seen it. Can't recommend or not recommend it. That's a thing. Um, or you start to get like the series finale reveals of same sex kisses, Legend of Korra, which at the time felt groundbreaking. And as we move into period three, the present, that starts to feel a little dated, as we've talked about with our discussion of the end of Voltron. Right. <laughs> it's like, oh, someone else did this. It's great you're doing this, but. Meh. Wasn't it them? <laughs> I think Korra came first. Well, I mean, but wasn't it the same people? I'm sure some of the same people, yeah. thought it was some of the same people from Korra who, who did Voltron. Like, yeah. well, this worked before. It's not a bad thing. I'm glad no. it happened, but it, it can feel out of place in the modern era. Where we so have more regular or main characters with no fuss same-sex moments in some way um like what's a good example um star versus the forces of evil uh does some coding both um jackie marco's ex sorry have you watched this far i don't think so but go ahead spoil me okay jackie marco's ex uh they reunite back on earth and it turns out that she was away in Paris and came back with this French girlfriend. Which is great. And of course, Star herself has his moments where she's like both in awe and admiring like abs Marco from the alternate like badass dimension and his friend. I forget her name. Uh, she also admires this lady and like the colors of the bisexual flag are in the background of this admiration. It's it's subtle when I count that. But it's just like this no fuss, like, let me admire this person. Let's not discuss it, because that just happens at this age. So would you say one of the distinctions of the transition phase, which we'll, which we'll call it, so that the transition phase and the modern era has to do with not calling it out? A little bit, yeah. I think the transition era, like many things in 
LGBTQ literature and art, you kind of get tired of the coming out stories, but there's this big period of time where people just do either coming out stories or stories where queer characters get killed. Yeah. It's like the basic entry level to culture kind of thing. And they're good and valuable and good at a certain age too. Um, but then as that culture and art matures, you get into more complex stories. It doesn't have to be about this. And it doesn't have to be a shock twist at the end that someone's gay. It can just be, here's the thing in life, it happens. We're going to continue with the plot. So, I think part of the challenge for this, though, for the category non-adult animation is how do you talk about LGBTQ characters in an animated show? Because in real life, kids know they're LGB or trans and coming out earlier and earlier. Um, and there's a lot of psychology and stuff in that I've done readings into. I'm not going to talk to. Um, but the point is that the real life kids who have these experiences know it's not tied directly to sexual desire. We're not sexualizing kids. These are the feelings and emotions that they're having. They know this, who they are on the inside. But it's still tricky to address that in an animated show without feeling like an after-school special in the modern era. So I think a lot of shows these days get, a re get around this by doing either like parents who are in a same-sex relationship <laughs> and not just throwaway parents like semi-main characters. They've done this, I think, on uh, Dragon Prince, She-Ra, Loud House, Doc McStuffins, Clarence. Uh, Tuka and Birdie is a lesbian couple in it. So a lot of people are going this route. You have known adults as positive, I'll stick with LGB representation. Because <laughs> again, there's not a lot of trans representation right now. Um, you also get adult main characters who might be LGB in some way. Um, Bojack, another anime, Yuri on Ice, which is notable because there's a lot of, there's a whole genre of like not gay sports anime where it's, admiring dudes doing sports but yuri on ice is notable because they are actually gay in this <laughs> as opposed to just friends who hang out naked um <laughs> there's also um i think you can get away with like high school students for lgb like star versus the force of evil um but once you start like getting into younger ages i think it's hard to talk about that in any sophisticated way because the characters fitting with their character don't have that vocabulary yet. Mm. So you can just really have like the coded moments and like no fuss moments of someone experiences this same sex attraction. Um, but you don't have to go into it. That's not who they are. I don't think that like any show with anyone younger than high school should be having like romance as part of it necessarily. Yeah, I always found, you know, for The Simpsons, I always found the Lisa romantic episodes always a little cringy. Yeah. Like, we've been going 30 seasons, but you're still a second grader. <laughs> let's, not, let's not push this too far. Let's, like, on some level, it's, it's kind of cute, and on another level, it's like, 
I I don't think this works. <laughs> but yeah, it it's interesting. I I think it's hard for So I I can only pull through the the I've heard both sides of, you know, being a a parent and uh seeing people who are same sex um, in a relationship. Um, One is in real life and it was one of them actually happened at my wedding. So at my wedding, two of my best friends, uh, you know, they were in a relationship and they were dancing on the dance floor. Um, And some of my family members like made them leave and said things and forced my friends out. Um, and my mom said, your God sisters are here. Do you want them to see that happening? Hmm. And I was like, you know, not 10 minutes ago, my wife was dancing with her maid of honor. Like, I understand that there's a difference between two heterosexual women dancing together and having silly time and two women in love dancing, slow dancing to a song. And it's just like, but where? Like, I didn't see a problem. Like, the kids didn't say anything like, oh, my gosh, you've scarred me. Ah. Mm. Um, so as a test, just, just to see what would happen, um, I watched these two episodes that we're about to discuss with my son just to see what questions he would have. And um, I will reveal that later. Okay. As we get into the conversation. Special bonus but, um, homework. I didn't know this was happening. But yeah, I, I w- it was, it's interesting to see what people are afraid of. And they're, af- you know, afraid of something that they deem wrong. And I... It's just so confusing to me. I think from a show production standpoint, I think while culture has moved on, like business tends to not move as fast as culture. True. Um, And because the new Tales of the City just premiered on Netflix, I've been thinking a lot about this. I didn't watch the old one, but I was doing a lot of the research because it is notable. And I realized the first Tales of the City season in the 90s was also a PBS show like Arthur. And so it's interesting to me that these are overlapping in some way because notably PBS declined to air any further seasons of Tales of City in 1993 after the government got involved and threatened to pull federal funding for airing this show about queer people in San Francisco. Hmm. And... Apparently, I didn't realize this. Uh, this happened again in 2005. There's an Arthur spinoff called Postcards from Buster. Yes, I heard about this. Buster goes to Vermont, and there's uh, a child with two moms in it. 
And again, the Department of Education got involved. And so here we are, 2019. Main, <laughs> mainstream Arthur. <laughs> Season 22 uh, has a gay wedding. And I think one of the most shocking parts of this for people was that Arthur's on season 22. <laughs> yes, I completely agree. I was like, oh, <laughs> Arthur's still going. <laughs> I, yeah, I think that's the big shock for everybody about this. Like, yeah. wait, Arthur has a, like, wait, that's ongoing? Like, I didn't know they were making new ones. But I think people on the business side, to a certain degree, maybe not the show creators and the showrunners, um, people are still afraid of not necessarily the government because government doesn't control anything but PBS. Um, people are afraid of a protest or boycott because um, many times parents aren't aware of what kids shows are out there and what they're about, even though kids might know and be aware of their show. And so all a parent might hear is if they're hearing anything, it's probably bad news. And they just know to not investigate, not let their kid watch it. Right. I think back in the 90s, that's a show killer. True. That's I don't think true. it is today, but I think people are still afraid that something could happen like that. I mean, it, it goes to show in something like Doc McStuffins. Christney is the creator. Four seasons in, and they have, you know, um, a lesbian couple in there, and suddenly everything kind of blows up a bit about this. They're trying to, this is two years ago, 2017, um, just before Vampirina's on. And if you search for that, like, you know, gay parents, Doc McStuffins, you just see, what is the word? Uh, panic. You see panic <laughs> in a lot of places. And um, for somebody who is gay to be the creator of a show and not be able to put gay characters in, not even as the main characters, but side characters in a single episode in the fifth season or fourth season um, of your show, hit show for Disney, and it still causes uproar. Yeah. And just reading like fan wikis and fan forums about these shows, I think something you see from fans a lot is like, why do these show creators want to put these characters in the show? And it's not that. I fully believe that every show creator and showwriter wants to have as diverse of a show as possible that represents not just the world, but their staff. Mm -hmm. It's not a matter of lack of desire to make a show like this look like this. It's, it's, I think, just a, a business fear. And maybe not on their part. It may just be whoever's funding them. Because money, money speaks. Right. And they're very careful. I know Disney has been through it <laughs> in a lot of different ways and a lot of different times trying to push it, but also not ostracize people because Disney is still Disney. Mm -hmm. 
So, yeah, it's, I see the business side. You know, not I saying it's right. No, no, no. Just no, no, where no. they're coming from. I see the business fear. How about that? Yes, the business fear. Good name for so, an album, by the way. Business fear. Business fear. Oh, nice. So, what are the two episodes that we'll be looking at where we are in this new modern era? Just as two symbols of, or no, 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 two representations of uh, where we are right now. Well, I think we should talk about two gay weddings. <laughs> so let's start with what's topical right now. Arthur, season 22, episode one. Uh, and the first part of this episode is Mr. Ratburn and the special someone. We'll talk about that segment. And then secondly, let's get into Steven Universe, which of course we have to talk about when talking about LGBTQ representation as a show that has some kind of spectrum of T representation of people who are gender fluid and gender queer in some way. Great. Steven Universe, season five, episode 23, reunited. And as I've spoiled, they both contain a gay wedding. <laughs> uh, let's start with Arthur. Um, geared at a little bit younger of an audience. Um, apparently people move on from Arthur. Never think to look it up again. See if it's still going. <laughs> I knew it was still on the PBS Kids app. I just didn't know there were new episodes. <laughs> so, you know, when Jack wanted to watch Pinkalicious, I was like, Arthur's still on here? <laughs> <laughs> Ta-da! Um, so why don't you take us through what, what happens? What's the plot of the episode? Okay, so we... Arthur and his friends who are in their third grade class, their teacher, if you've never seen Arthur before. So kids in, a third, <laughs> kids in a third grade class, uh, their teacher, Mr. Ratburn, um, takes a phone call in class and it's revealed that he's making preparations for his wedding. And the, the kids make a lot of assumptions and try to figure out what is our teacher's life when they're not here and that's the big question is what does our teacher's life look like and how does our teacher's life affect us in class that's the big central question um they follow along mr ratburn well they don't follow him along but they they end up in this restaurant and mr ratburn enters with this woman um voiced by jane lynch which, that's amazing. Surprise. Surprise, Jane Lynch. <laughs> I was like, if you would have told me, I would have watched this. Like, if you would have said Jane Lynch, I would have been here. That's the selling point. Jane Lynch. <laughs> um, so they, they hear this, this character, this Jane Lynch voice character, talk through her order and she seems really meticulous and exacting and a little rude and she wants everything exactly the way she wants it i can't quite remember do you do you remember exactly how she ordered i know her her, her coffee she said something um i said three and a half minutes this is two and three quarters 
So she's very exact and very precise. And the main thing the kids are worried about that if Mr. Ratburn marries this woman, she's going to try to turn him into a perfect guy and he's going to be even more demanding on them. Mm-hmm. And they already imagine him as the kind of teacher or the kind of person who goes home and eats kale and, you know, thinks up crazy homework assignments, like making them write 4,000 word essays on the color gray. Like he's just this terrible, evil villain character. Like that's all he does is think of ways to torture them. You know what? Eating kale and coming up with creative essays for students doesn't sound like a bad life. Right? I'm yes, like, Mr. Crunch. Mr. Ratburn is living the dream. <laughs> That's our adult coming out. <laughs> like the fact that he's just there, like it doesn't say what he's drinking, but Lord knows it's, it's red and it's at least from four years ago. <laughs> <laughs> or it's something on ice. Um, but it's just this interesting idea about all their misunderstandings about (laughs) their assumptions that of the life their teacher has. And I, I enjoy that it's about who he will become if he marries this wrong person. And it's just, they're so wrong about his life. They know nothing about him. They've never made any assumptions or thought about what his life is until this moment where he's on the phone talking about his wedding. I mean, to him or to the class, he's just a teacher. That's his entire life. He doesn't exist outside of being a teacher. Right. He's in the room. He goes home and he's still a teacher at home. He doesn't have a life. He doesn't exist. (laughs) Um, And they just make the assumption that the next adult that he's sitting with having dinner with has to be the person he's marrying in a very third grader kid way. Spoilers. It's his sister. Gross. Which it's Jane Lynch. You know that she's not marrying Mr. Ratburn. We know. I don't know if Jack do. (laughs) So there's just all these ideas about who's he going to marry. They try to set up Mr. Ratburn with a better match who the librarian at the school, because they enjoy books and school and books. They can't think of any, because they don't know teachers. They don't know who they are or what they're about. So They try to set him up with the librarian because she's going to be better for him and them um, than this other person. And of course they fail because they can't spell anything as third graders. And there's a very earnest reading of this letter, which we'll play for you now. My dear Padge Tuner, you are a book to me, a book I can't not put down. Will you make me happy? and erase this winkled frown. Shine on me like the lonely moon above, 
and together we will build a library, a library of love. Nigel Rathburn. A library of love. Library of love. I was not expecting to laugh out loud at an episode of Arthur. But my God, Library of Love. <laughs> just It's well done. I it's, it's, it's reminiscent <laughs> of all the wonderful YouTube videos of people reading bad typos of things posted to the internet, but in an Arthur episode. And I love that the librarian doesn't think twice about it. Like, she doesn't even consider this. She's like, oh, this... From the second it, it, it starts, she's like, oh, the kids wrote this. <laughs> you can sense that in her attitude. And then she just circles it, corrects it, and offers them a book on how to write poetry. <laughs> Rude. <laughs> like, in my head canon, the library and a Jane Lynch get together. <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> hmm. I mean, you see the Jane Lynch character in that white pantsuit. You know that. You know it's never going to happen. It's not going to happen. <laughs> I Mr. Rapburn, too. Well, I didn't watch Arthur growing up, um, but if he has always been portrayed the way he is portrayed right now, um, is he does he have a little bit of a lisp and he falls for getting honeypotted with the promise of theater and dramatic acting? Is that problematic? Possibly. (laughs) Is it true to his character? Yes. (laughs) And we can only hope for the most problematic of all of us to have a happy ending. Smithers included. (laughs) And Dapper T-Dog from Tuca and Birdie. Dapper T-Dog. I love Dapper T-Dog. It's just a terrible joke of a character but also right i don't know how to i don't know how to feel about dapper t dog he makes me laugh i'm pro camp i'm sorry the internet i like campy things (laughs) should there be more real representations of lgbtq people out there on tv yes that too but also like don't take the camp away from me please let's have both So at the end, of course, it's revealed as they're walking down the aisle that Mr. Ratburn and this chocolatier they meet briefly earlier in the episode are getting married. And there's a literal wink from the chocolatier to the camera, ostensibly the third grade class. Like, ding! Do you get it now? It's cute. And they smile. Like, it's, it's... He winks, and then they immediately smile. And then it cuts to, you know, no teacher should ever do that. And then we notice that they're dancing. They should never dance. Terribly. Terribly. I couldn't dance better, but terribly is what I'll say. (laughs) So what did Jack think of this episode? Um, After it was over, you know, because it ends with... The wedding with you know two male characters together um he asked a very difficult question and i wasn't quite sure how i wanted to answer it um he said now can we watch octonauts 
And we had watched Octonauts earlier in the day. So I wasn't sure if I wanted to say yes. And I didn't know if I could say no to him in that moment because, you know, I just watched something. Maybe I should let him watch something that he wanted to watch. Uh, so so I, I said yes. I let him watch Octonauts. It was a difficult moment after what we had just seen. That does sound like a hard choice. So I, I just said yes and had to live with the consequences of that. In short, <laughs> it mattered, Jack. It's not characters he knows and loves already. So he wanted to watch Octonauts. <laughs> so that, yeah, that was it. That was, that was a difficult question that I faced after that episode. May every parent be as strong as you. <laughs> I, I pray. I pray that they are. Um, but, I mean, he's been to one gay wedding already in his life. Um, whether he remembers it or not, I'm not sure. He was four. Um, and his babysitter has two mothers. So... It's not something that's foreign to him. So he wouldn't think to be like, Daddy, what's going on? But I feel like I've also never met a kid, and not to say that I travel in every social circle that exists, but I've never met a kid who would have had a problem with it either. Yeah, and it's... And I think in the world of this show, it's built up in a way that the kids are wrong because they just don't know that their teacher has a life at all. Mm -hmm. And they're making assumptions because of where kids imagining the lives of adults. It's more of a moral about your teacher as a person, too, than like a lesson about sexuality in that spectrum. Right. So. Ta-da! <laughs> Mr. Rapper found that special sum one. And it doesn't even matter. Yep. It matters to him. Right. To Mr. Rapper, it's everything. Hence, special. Special. So our next episode, Steven Universe reunited um i'm sorry to drop you into the middle of this one because of course end of season five of steven universe are kind of wrapping up the original plan for the series those like four episodes leading up to this one where ruby and sapphire who form garnet in fusion they like have a fight so they stop being garnet they're, they're two separate people and then this whole other like drama of everything happening on plot wise so there's a lot that i maybe should have prefaced yeah, I like Steven Universe a lot. I do. But I've not watched it since season one. So... I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, there was a lot to this um, in terms of backstory. But the nice thing is... The thing that I appreciate about Steven Universe, the ones that I've seen... Um, is that 
the real struggle, the real fight um, is internal. And that's represented in a lot of different ways in these episodes. And yes, they are really terrific, badass fighters. But that's not the end of it. You know, it has to come when there's an emotional or mental shift in a character. And that's how you win. And that's what Steven is all about, is shifting thoughts and hearts and minds and making that change. So um, if you understand that, then it's like, oh, well, I just I understand who is, quote, good and who is bad and what they're afraid of. And you kind of let it go from that point. Mm-hmm. The background for anyone also on the conceit of the show, now that we're five seasons in. Yes, hit it. There's these alien creatures from another world called the gems. They're like sentient rocks, essentially. And they're like made of light, but there's like a core rock that is who they are. They're all female presenting. And they can fuse together to become a bigger, more powerful person. And it seems kind of like there's something emotional tied to that. But it's kind of taboo to do also. They don't like it when people fuse because it's kind of like weird and icky. Um, And the season one finale reveal is that one of the main characters, Garnet, is actually two other gems fused together. And they're together almost all the time. Which I didn't ever get to that. Oh, okay. Spoilers. Sorry. I've figured it out now. <laughs> it's pretty plain now. <laughs> it's a great reveal. And that's kind of like the first, like, oh, they're not just all female aliens. Like, these two are in love and they're together. And they've been together. And they sing a song about being in love and how that love is too strong for anyone else. And it's great. It's a great moment and a great reveal and a great, like, victory for animation. Hmm. So here we are, near the end of season five. And the difference between this and the Arthur episode we just discussed is it's not like they're also coming out at the same time. And I don't necessarily want to call them lesbian because, you know, they're gems that are always female presenting. I don't know if they're lesbian necessarily. Um, but from a human perspective, imprinting on this, it looks like a lesbian relationship. Mm-hmm. For someone, a child watching this show, that's what it looks like. Right. Two, two women getting married. Yeah. Um, and so this episode begins, they've just gotten into being convinced that like, there's this human tradition called marriage and we're going to make up your fight and you love each other. And that's why you're fighting in the first place. And so let's commemorate your love and let's do this thing. And there's a great song. Cause it's another episode. We've talked about a lot of episodes recently of shows where they have to cram a lot in and mm. keep it moving. Right. This does that. There's a great opening song that captures the terrible time in plot and real life, too, of there's a lot of awful things we could be thinking of. But instead, we'll think about love. Which is a great song. And I, I, I heard that song. I downloaded the uh, volume one uh, album on Apple Music. So I heard a lot of plot points from <laughs> shows I've never seen, episodes I've never seen. Uh, of Steven Universe. And that one was, I was like, oh, sounds like a lot happens in whatever episode this is. 
And then it's like, it's that episode. It's here. (laughs) I get to see all the things happening. Little did you know. And it's very Broadway-esque. And it's very much of, I'm going to touch on your plot point, and I'm going to turn it and bring out the theme. And I do, it was a really cathartic thing. I watched it first with just my wife, and then I watched it with Jack um, today. And it was just really cathartic about, you know, this is, there is terrible stuff that's out there, but let's focus on the present. Let's focus on what's happening right now between these two people. Let's only think about what's happening now. And thankfully, it's two people loving each other. Mm-hmm. It's such a great... I, I don't think recapped enough for you to jump in, not having seen it since season one. But... <laughs> Did they give you like enough of a landing strip to kind of get back into it? I uh, yes, I think I kind of understood. I watched, I've read headlines and sort of seen some other things. So I'm like, okay, I sort of understand some of what's going on here. I would like to see what actually is happening plot wise. What I appreciate about Steven Universe is that it's so character based that it doesn't matter what's happened plot-wise, you're tracking with them character and emotionally. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, jump it, was, and say like, it was plenty. I was fine. Good. There's a lot in this episode that I love, and I think it executes things so well. And more than being an episode with a gay-seeming wedding in it, I think this is just a wedding episode. And what I love about that is it does everything uniquely and in a way that makes you see like the marriage episode trope through new eyes. Hmm. It doesn't just do it to do it. It does everything it chooses to show at the wedding. It's done for a reason and it's done in such a Steven universe way. That's really good. Trying to think I can better articulate that. Um, The vowels that they give each other are very in character for both Ruby and Sapphire. Um, and they're aspiring. It's not just like this lovey-dovey like sitcom, like, and I love you, and here's this thing that happened two seasons ago that proves why I love you. It's like this philosophical thing. So Ruby is not great at words and says something about how she was afraid to be herself. And then when she met Sapphire, she learned, it's okay to be me, and I want to be me with you. Mm-hmm. Which is really good. Oh yeah, I I've, I felt a little misty. Mm-hmm. It's like oh, okay. Not knowing who these characters were, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, these random characters are going. I wonder where Garnet's good. What's going on with Garnet? I haven't seen her. <laughs> these characters seem interesting, though. Surprise! They are Garnet. Or as Steven <laughs> Universe says, two of my favorite people who combine into one of my other favorite people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. And then there's that other um where Sapphire's vow, you know, she's just talking about the possibilities and now she sees her life being 
just intertwined. And the fact that she's just like, yes, they're ready to say, you know, they've been together for 5,000 years, I think. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. At some point. And now it's finally illegal for them to get ready, <laughs> you know, to get married. And there's just that feeling of it's been a really long time. And now we're making this decision. Um, oh, what was the line? Is it Garnet's line? I think it's Garnet's line. Where she said, what, what does Garnet say? This might be my favorite thing. So spoilers for later in our podcast. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. We can, we can save it. No, you're fine. You're fine. It, it's relevant to what we're talking about now. It's um, after the, the ceremony, she finds Stephen on the dance floor and says, like, Stephen, thank you. Humans found a way to make a moment's decision last forever. Is that what you're thinking of? Yes, that is exactly what I was thinking of. Okay. It's just, that's, that's marriage. That's the idea of marriage is, you know, making that moment of, yes, I want to be with you. Um, forever. <laughs> like that's, yeah. that's it. Yes. We said yes. It's a unique new take on what this is. It's not just an episode you have to slog through because they have to get married now. Mm -hmm. And as what happens in marriage, not between two rock gem people, you know, <laughs> you are changed and transformed in that moment even though you can't quite put your finger on what has changed exactly because it feels a lot like yesterday or the moment before it happened, it still feels like you're still the same and they're still the same, but something feels as though it has shifted. And that's represented in that new act kiss and being fused into Garnet and mm -hmm. just and now saying like Garnet is this new transformed person um, and especially when they're fighting Blue Diamond and Yellow Diamond I guess yeah. <laughs> okay you can infer that because <laughs> <laughs> um, they never expressly say it but um, not in that episode in the later one they do um, but they were talking through and Steven says, don't forget you are made of love or you are mm -hmm. like, that's, that's what makes you is the, you are the combined love of two beings. Steven universe is a show. found a way to manifest a physical representation of love on their show hmm. as a main character. <laughs> Good on you, Steven Universe. Yeah. And we didn't start with that high concept. They kind of build into it later. Because one of the plot points at the beginning is um, Pearl had been keeping a secret lying from Steven immediately before this episode. And a lot of the show's drama is built on, like, the gems are essentially Steven's parents. I mean, and his dad, but <laughs> there's parents. And as he progresses through the show and gets older, like he learns more and more things about the world and how they work and what happens. So as an audience, you're learning with him 
um, but they often keep secrets from him too. And so this isn't, it's a show that when you start on episode one, season one, it is high concept and weird. And you're like, I kind of like this. I don't get any of it. Um, but it's not the kind of show that's going to explain everything to you right away. Mm -hmm. Because it doesn't need to. Just like as it doesn't need to explain to Steven how everything works. There's this evil diamond authority in space that's going to come to get us and take revenge eventually. Welcome to our family. <laughs> also, Pearl used to be in love with your mom, but then she broke up with Pearl. Is that what happened? That sounds you missed about that right. Too. Yeah. There's a song, though, I would do anything for you or something. Yes. Or like for her. Yep. Like was she in love with? Yeah. Yep. You got it. Okay. So I inferred a lot from the soundtrack and uh, certain things that were said. Good. That's good storytelling. <laughs> I could come back four seasons later and go, oh, I think I understand. <laughs> so thank you guys. So, did Jack have anything uh, to say about this episode, or just Octonauts, please? He wanted to watch more. <laughs> <laughs> he, I mean, he was a little curious about um, what happens next. Mm. Um, so, for him, it was more of like, what's what's going to happen, and then it was like, can I watch an Octonauts? It gets emotionally heavy. A warning now. So, yeah, it's not about, for him, like, he didn't question anything. And who knows, maybe in the following days I'll have to answer a question about when those two characters got married, but I really seriously doubt it. Yeah. And if I do, I'll just say they got married because they loved each other. Like, what? I don't understand. I don't understand. Like, that's the end of the conversation. Why does anybody get married other than she's pregnant? Um, like, Oof. <laughs> Oof. but that's more of like a cishet issue. As far as you know, as far as I know, you don't know how my body works. <laughs> True. That's very true. Did you have a favorite thing from either of these episodes? I, I mean, Library of Love got really close <laughs> to it. Um, for me, I think it was the marriage vows. Mm -hmm. That just felt like a really special moment, just really authentic and true. And the voice acting at that moment was just very powerful. What about for you? I mean, mine is how Garnet described marriage. Humans find a way to make a moment's decision last forever. Um, but I guess since we said that one, my second favorite, not as deep at all, um, because you have to keep the episode moving. At one point, Stephen oh. is like a in a world in his mind and touches his friend Connie, who's there physically. And she's like, what's going on? How can I hear you? And Steven just says, it's a classic psychic ghost situation. She goes, of course. And the episode moves on. 
It's like making fun of this thing that's never happened. It's just like, accept it. We have to move on. We're not going to explain this now. That's This is what's happening. <laughs> Here's two kids perceiving. Psychic ghost. Cl- classic psychic ghost situation. Just roll with it. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was a very close second in that particular episode. Because I, my wife and I both laughed at that. <laughs> oh, also Jack... Jack's favorite thing, and also my wife's favorite thing, was living gourds. <laughs> yes. Um, Rochelle choked. It's like she choked on air and couldn't breathe. We had to stop the episode because <laughs> she laughed so hard that she choked and couldn't breathe. So it took a good five minutes before we were able to continue. It's a whole episode where they get a pet pumpkin dog thing. (laughs) I'll leave it at that. And then, so what happened? So they saw this and she laughed. And then we watched the episode again with Jack, with Jack this time. And Jack couldn't stop laughing at that. And Rochelle, and I was like, oh boy, now there's two of them. (laughs) (laughs) Accurate. That is how parenting works, I think. Uh. Yeah, they're very much the same person. Well, shall we talk homework time for next time? Let's. Watch the Lion King. Live action. We put air quotes on live action because it's animated. It's a room. Hey, ha. I don't know if that's racist, um, but it's authentic and it was done with the right feeling. Go see The Lion King, <laughs> the new one. And we'll probably talk about the old one, but not as primary homework. Right. Just go watch the live-action, looking, animated Lion King. The photorealistic Lion King. That's better, yeah. That's better. As always, we want to say thank you to Nigel Coutinho, our (laughs) sound engineer, and to Jacob Reed for our theme music. Well done. I didn't see that coming. I don't know why I didn't see that coming. Uh, You can... Find us on Twitter at WG Animated, and you can find all of our show notes on writersgetanimated.podbean.com or in your, you know, podcast digesting app like Apple Podcasts or one of the many others out there. Can we watch Octonauts now? I was, I was hoping you would ask. <laughs> yes, yes, a thousand times, yes. <laughs> Oh, this moment's decision will last forever. In your head. Or 30 minutes. Good night, everybody.